He says, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to answer that. And then they kept calling. And finally, it was for us to pay the bill. So your, pastor, your pastor's passion for this building could have ended him up in jail. You know, that's what I'm saying. And so, and so praise God. How many of you relieved me here in this building? And, you know, I, I, I was here yesterday, and I just looked at it, and I just thought, look what the Lord has done. Don't you dare wait, in a, wait for a miracle. You're sitting in one. You're sitting in a miracle. Come on, let's give God the glory. Gr to God be the glory. Great things he has done. Well, some of you have met my wife, and I do bring greetings from Leah, my beautiful bride. We've got three daughters. So the last time I was here, we only had one. So we've been very busy <laughs> growing the church and <laughs> adding to the, the community and doing our thing. So, so uh, we've got three daughters, uh, uh, eight, uh, four, and two. And uh, first one's Elise, the second one's Nora, and the third is Charlotte. And uh, so it's, we bring, I bring greetings from all of them. And we love Roma. Roma feels like extended family to us. And I want to thank you all. I know over the years, even Downport Camp would not exist if it weren't for your generosity, for your commitment, for your heart, for your prayers, for your faithfulness, for your stewardship. So I just want to extend a massive thank you to you that all of that, all of your partnership, all of that giving, all of that generosity, only heaven will show what it has created for the glory of God. So praise God. Are we doing well? Well, you're like, all, it's a great introduction, but I'm here for a message. So let's get, <laughs> let's get right into it. So I want to read to you from, um, from 1 Kings 17, verse 1, and sort of share a very simple idea. But if you capture it, it'll literally transform your life. 1 Kings 17, verse 1, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, and to Ahab, as the, he said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then, at the, word of the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. So he went and stayed by the brook which flows into Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, I like another translation that says, the word of the Lord came to him a second time saying, arise, go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Why don't we pray? Father, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, that when your word is spoken, things begin to happen. That you, I don't need to lay hands on a person or say anything specifically, that as your word is declared, it shall not return void. And Father, this morning, our hearts are open, our ears are active, and Lord, we are ready to hear what you have to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we say, come. You're already here. But we invite you from the front to the back, from the left to the right. I pray that your presence would descend in this place. And that as I speak your word generally, that you would speak into specific situations. That we would know that surely God has been with us all along. I praise you in advance for what you're about to do in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1 Kings 17... It's an interesting story. I want to sort of give you the context of the story. There's a prophet called Elijah. And Elijah is living in a time of recession. And so he's, there's no food, there's no water, there's no provision. And God 
speaks to him. God says to him, I need you to reposition yourself and stay by the brook. And as you're by the brook, what begins to happen is God says something interesting. God says, I'm going to literally cause ravens to feed you in the morning and to feed you in the evening, right? And I've read the story over and over until a couple of months back when I read it. It was just interesting because what stood out to me was not the fact that God provided. God provides. He does it. Maybe you're believing for something, and I want you to know we serve a God who provides. We serve a God who answers. But God's mechanism of provision was what stood out to me. God instructs ravens to feed Elijah. I mean, of all the birds that God, God could use in the animal kingdom, he, he picks ravens. Like, it could have been a dove. It could have been a peacock. It's way more Instagram worthy. You know what I'm saying? But he uses ravens. Have you ever seen a raven? If you probably haven't, the, the magpies belong to the raven family. These are wild birds. These are birds that, that, that spoil your picnics. These are birds that spoil your proposals when you're trying to ask someone to marry you. These are wild birds. These are scavengers. These are birds that steal from people. They're notorious. And yet God uses ravens to feed the prophet, which tells me that God provides from sometimes the most unlikely of places. You might think that it might be this way that God's gonna come through, but God does something unusual. And so I want you to picture this, right? Elijah wakes up in the morning and literally does nothing and, and, and ravens rock up with, with meat and bread for the prophet. As I was thinking about this, I'm a bit of a, I like to sort of imagine scripture and I was thinking about someone rocks up to prophet Elijah's house for prayer at four o'clock and it's five o'clock and it's 5.15, 5.30, 5.45. They're like, Elijah, you gotta be a better host, right? They're thinking this, they're not saying it because he's a prophet. They're thinking this and they're sort of like, you gotta cook us some dinner, right? And, 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 and they're like, Elijah, what are you gonna do for dinner? He's like, don't, don't worry about it. 5.57, they start hearing the ruffling of feathers. A school of birds arrive at Elijah's doorstep with meat and bread. I've heard of Uber Eats. I've not heard of Raven Eats. But that's literally what's happening in 1 Kings 17. God is bringing provision for Elijah from an unlikely source. Elijah rocks up to, I don't know what you guys call you. Do you guys do connect groups here? Do you guys do life groups? Elijah rocks up to life group. Pastor Shane says, who's got a testimony? Elijah's hands go up. He's like, you know, people are talking about this and people are talking about that. Elijah takes out his phone and he's showing a video of how ravens are literally providing for him. And if I'd ended the story here, we could all have a good moment. We could all say a word of prayer and go home. But what I love is verse chapter seven, because verse seven rather, where it says that, and the brook dried up and the ravens stopped coming. What do you do when a brook dries up? What do you do when the word that God promised you, the word that God gave, me, gave you, the opportunity that God opened up for you, the work and the job and the whatever it is that you know is a God thing, all of a sudden dries up? It's a whole nother thing when promises made by man or promises made by a person dries up. It's a whole nother thing when a promise made by God dries up. Elijah's now not turning up to Bible studies anymore. He's got no videos to post on Instagram. There are no ravens turning up. 
right? So he's in this place called stuck. And I want to speak into this situation because there are people in this room that have found themselves to be stuck where in one season of your life, God moved in a certain way. God spoke in a certain manner. God provided for a certain situation. But you feel like that season's come to an end. And you do not know what to do. And so what do we do? We're Pentecostals. So we start fasting. We start praying. We start singing songs like do it again. But what if God doesn't do it again? We, start, we, we go to the brook and we start naming, claiming, casting in, casting out, <laughs> laying, of, laying of hands, and nothing's happening. But what it says in verse 8 is, and God's word came a second time. And that's the title of my message. If you're taking notes, my message is called A Second Time because I believe there are people all around in our churches that need a word from God a second time. But what comes in the way of God speaking to us a second time is we think that God needs to do it the way he did it the first time. So today it was Brook, Brook Jordan, but tomorrow it's got to be another Brook. It's got to be the same way. And we start worshiping the method in which God is providing for us. And that becomes our fascination. That becomes our obsession, not realizing that God is always doing a new thing. And I want to encourage you that maybe God is already speaking. God has already opened a door. God has already made a way. But are we willing enough, are we obedient enough to hear his voice and say, God, I'm, uh, it does not matter which way you provide for me. I know you're speaking to me. I love what the Bible says, for man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not live by ravens alone. Man shall not live by that first provision that God provided for you. Man shall not live by that first way that you did ministry. Man shall not live by that, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Church, I want you to understand that we serve a God who speaks. We serve a God who answers. And we serve a God who does not just speak to us the first time, but we serve a God who speaks the second time. If you believe that, give God a clap of praise. He's a God that speaks the second time. And if you are stuck, and if you are dry, and if you are weary, and if you feel like Elijah where God moved in one way at one point in your life, you're the perfect candidate for a God who's about to speak a second time. Let's be hopeful. Let's be expectant. Let's be full of the sense of anticipation that we serve a God who speaks a second time because church, He does. And we read in the story that God does something incredible. God leads him to the house of a widow and one thing leads to another and one miracle to another. And sometimes that's what God does. I, I hear, I hear, I've heard pastors say this. Um, I've heard a lot of pastors say this. God guides by what he provides. My experience has been God guides by what he withholds. Sometimes we're like, well, God, I, I need, could it be possible that it's not the devil that closed the door? Could it be possible that it's God, the, God that closed the door? So that you could, be, you could be positioned for a second word. You could be positioned for a second time. You could be positioned for a second opportunity. You could be positioned for a second chance. And the Bible is filled with stories upon stories upon stories of people that saw God move not just once, but God began to move a second time. And I've got a few characters in the Bible 
that, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that's going to help us sort of drive this idea. The second guy that I want to talk about, we've got hundreds of people in Scripture, but the second guy I want to talk about is a guy called Moses. How many of you have heard this, about this guy called Moses? Exodus chapter 1, 2, 3, it's the story of Moses. I'm going to give you the paraphrase version. Don't have a Scripture for you. You just need to trust me. Go home and check. Fact, fact check this story. But the story of Moses is Moses is born in Egypt. The nation of Israel is literally in Egypt, and the king of the land, you know, he's got this, he's got this spirit where he's just like trying to kill all these boys. And literally Moses is this promised child. And, and if you read Exodus 1 and 2, the script of, of Exodus 1 and 2 sounds like a Disney story. Literally. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if you were to smell the pages of Exodus 1 and 2, it would smell like strawberry. <laughs> it's literally, ah, why are you guys look, giving me that look like I'm faking this thing? I mean, literally, it's like a Disney story. Like this baby is born, and then the mom takes care of the baby, and then the mom puts the baby in a basket, and as, as the baby is floating in the basket on the other side of the river, Pharaoh's daughter is about to have a bath. I mean, think about coincidence. Think about God incidents. Think about Disney direction, right? <laughs> the baby is floating, and as she's coming out of the water, she says, Holding a baby looks good on Instagram. I'll get a lot more likes, but I don't want to have a baby. She takes the baby. This baby makes me look good. It's like a little pet, right? And literally at the same time, Moses' sister rocks up, says, do you want daycare, right? There's a mother. There's, a, there's an Egyptian mom looking to help you out, which is AKA Moses' mother. Moses' mother gets a deal of a lifetime. Take care of your own child and we'll pay you for it. How many mothers in the room would like that deal? You know, I'm talking about a Disney situation. And Moses grows in the palace. He learns karate, martial arts, learns to read and write, learns the way of royalty, learns how to be like a king, learns how to be like a prince, and literally begins to realize that all of this was for God to raise him up to be the deliverer of his people, the Israelite. And then we find in Exodus chapter 3 that Moses gets overzealous takes matters into his own hands and kills an Egyptian. And overnight, Moses goes from a prince to being the most wanted man in Egypt. He runs into the wilderness thinking his life is a mess, that he has destroyed God's plan for not just his life, but for all of his nation, all of his tribe, all of his people. He's living in the land of regret. He's not hanging around humans anymore. He's hanging around sheep. And literally one day in Exodus chapter 4, as he's doing his thing, he sees a bush that's burning. And he, 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 it intrigues him enough to sort of see what's happening. And God begins to speak to him out of the bush a second time. And there are people in this place, you, the, the, you feel like, you were passionate for God. You wanted to do things for God. And maybe you're a bit too zealous and maybe you're a bit too overexcited and maybe you're a bit too enthusiastic and maybe you sort of went a bit ahead of your season and now you feel like, oh, I've, touched the, I've touched the iron, it's too hot. I don't want to step back into it. But I want you to know that we serve a God who turns up, who rocks up, who arrives in the most unusual of places. He will set a bush on fire and speak from that bush just so that you could send a message that he's a God that speaks a second time. He will send a brown skin 
suit-wearing pastor from Brisbane with an unusual accent to tell you that he's a God that speaks the second time. That's a God you serve. That's a God you call upon because he's a God who speaks the second time. That's Moses. Moses living in the land of regret. Moses living in the land of enthusiasm. And I want to speak to every person that was zealous once for God and you feel like you've lost that. I want to encourage you that if you serve a God who's calling you a second time. He's saying, come on, son, come on, daughter, rise up. Step back into that office. Step back into that place. Start serving the house of God. Start serving this ministry. Start being planted in God's house. Maybe there was a season 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 3 years ago, you did that. But it's time for God to speak to us one more time about those things that's been burning on our hearts. The third person that's going to help us this morning is a guy called Jonah. Everybody say Jonah. Is there anybody with the name Jonah? You would not name your child Jonah. It's not, it's not the most, it's, not, it's, not, it's never trended in the Google number one uh, 100 top names of 2023. It's not, it's not trending. Jonah, let me give you the context of this guy called Jonah. Jonah was quite a seasoned prophet. In fact, I want to read a passage of scripture if that's okay. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. This is literally what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What does it say? A second time. So what was the first situation? I want to explain what happened in Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 2. Jonah was quite a seasoned prophet. He was doing very well. And then God says to him, God says to him, I want you to go to Nineveh, like this other country, and I want you to go and minister. I want you to go and preach. But Jonah was tired. He was just burnt out. He's being rostered on the worship team. Pastor Shane's been rostering Jonah on the worship team, on the flag-waving team, on the prophetic team, on the shofar-blowing team. I mean, no, no, someone's getting excited about that, right? right? And Jonah's like, I'm just tired. I just need a bit of a break, right? So, 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 so Jonah says, and, and the Bible says literally Jonah books a ticket and travels all the way to another place. Now, I want to teach you a bit of geography. God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh which is modern-day Iraq. Do you know where Jonah traveled to? Spain. I like this guy, Jonah. Like when he's on fire for God, he's on fire for God, right? When he's like disobedient, he's like, I'm just going to go all, all out, right? He's hot or he's cold. You know what I'm saying? Jonah knows to sin well. He's a good <laughs> sinner, right? right? And, so, and so he's like literally going completely in the opposite direction of God, and one thing leads to another. He's on this Mediterranean cruise, probably having some shrimps, you know what I'm saying? And, and literally they, they, they go through a shipwreck, a massive storm. And, and back in those days, they were not as politically correct as now in the 21st century. So someone did some sort of a voting system. And Jonah comes up guilty. And they literally throw him off the ship. And this is the crazy part. I know you're like, is this even in the Bible? Yes, it's in the Bible. This is just Jonah chapter 1, Jonah chapter 2. I'm telling you, it's incredible. Disney is stealing from the Bible. It's unbelievable stories. And so Jonah is being thrown off the ship. And literally as Jonah is being thrown off the ship, the Bible says God arranges for a fish to swallow Jonah. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're looking at me like I'm making this up. I'm not making this up. This is the Bible. This is literally the Bible. Thank you. You are a legend. This is literally the Bible, right? John, John has been thrown off the ship. He gets swallowed by a fish. I want you to think about this. The nature of God. And, and, and in John chapter 2, there's something interesting. 
that, that the Bible says. Because what begins to happen is God takes, God commands that fish to spit him out in modern day Iraq, his original place of assignment, right? But I, I, want, I want to take a moment to speak, share this, this thought. In John chapter 2, God says, John chapter 3 rather, God, the Bible says, God arranged a fish. In other words, God arranged transportation. And I read these words and I got a bit frustrated because I said to God, that doesn't seem like an arrangement to me. That sort of feels like a punishment. And the reason I'm saying that is because there are some of you who are right now in an arrangement that you think is from the devil, but it's actually from God. And it's repositioning you into where you need to be. Some of you have been saying, God, save me. When God is saying, I'm actually protecting you. I'm actually bringing you back to where you need to be. Some of you feel closed in. Some of you feel together in. Some of you feel you're in a tight space. But friend, I want you to understand that it's probably God's grace. God's grace arrived at Jonah's death in the form of a fish. I wonder what arrangements God's put right outside your door that you don't even realize is an arrangement from heaven. What could be the arrangements that are around us that we don't even understand? Jonah thought all along, oh, am I being punished? Am I being, this is the worst thing. What's happening? Not realizing that God was bringing him to his place. God was bringing him to his destiny. God was bringing him. I feel they're not really convinced, Pastor Shane. So let's try this. I know in Roma, you don't need Google Maps. It's one road. It's a bit more now. I, I, I see the developments. I've, I've loved this, the action in the CBD. It's pretty cool. There are some good cafes. It's amazing. But in Brisbane, if you've ever driven in Brisbane, I think most of you have for some sort of occasion, incident, hospital visit. If you would ever use Google Maps, you know what it's like. Turn to Edward Street, turn to Charlotte Street, turn to King Street. It's like you miss one turn, it takes you on a loop, right? But thank God for Google Maps. Because Google Maps is amazing because when I miss a turn, right, for whatever reason, maybe I was just too arrogant, maybe I was a bit too obnoxious, maybe I was trying to impress my wife that I know the way, right? Maybe I was just caught up by the brands out there, something distracted my vision. Whatever it is, I love the fact that regardless of what happens, there are these magic words that come out of my app and the words are recalculating. And this is what I want to say to you, Life Church Baroma, this morning. I wish people had more faith in God than they had in Google Maps. Google Maps never says, you know what, I'm sick and tired of your, of your reckless driving. You need, to, you need to park by the side of the road, take 10 minutes, time out, like the app's timed out. Never. And this is what I want you to understand. The moment you repent, the moment you say, God, I want to walk in your will. I want to walk in your plan. I want to walk in your purpose. I have some regrets. There are things that have happened. There are situations that come across. All of heaven moves its resources and recalculates your situation to where you need to be. He will take you from the, from the Mediterranean cruise heading to Spain. He may package you in the womb. Of a, of a fish, but he will reposition you into your destiny. I do not know if there's anybody 
anybody in this room, maybe people in Roma are very righteous and holy, but where I come from, I know I've made a few wrong turns. I know I've been distracted by what's happened around me, and I'm grateful for a God that the moment I call upon His name, despite of my choices, despite of my decision, that all of heaven will recalculate on behalf of me. Is there anybody in this room that is thankful for a God who's willing to recalculate their lives despite of the decisions and the choices that they've made? Come on, you're, gonna, you're not going to miss this opportunity to give God some praise. He's a God who recalculates. He's a God who turns things around. He's a God who shifts things. And this is the amazing part. He will even use your wrong decisions, your poor choices. I'm not giving you permission to go out and live the way you want to live. There's not a message that says, yeah, just do whatever. Que sera, sera, whatever is to be, to be. That's not this message. But, but the thing is, we all, if you've lived life long enough, we know that there are decisions we make and regrets that we have. But heaven has the resource to reposition and recalculate for every, for every sinner that carries a repentant heart. And I want to encourage you this morning. You serve a God, a God who recalculates your situation. I want you to stop living in the land of regret. Oh, I'm so sad. I made the decision I shouldn't have. You know, back in 1978, there was an opportunity. Come on. He's a new, it's a new day. It's a, it's a new season. It's a new building. It's a new opportunity. Look, look, I lifted my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help does not come from man. My help does not come from that business idea. My help comes from the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm hungry and thirsty for you. Lord, I'm sorry for the decisions I've made. But today, on this day, this morning, Lord, I'm saying, God, press the reset button. Press the recalculation button. It may mean that I might have to be in a tight space for a moment. It may mean that I might have to abide by some of your arrangements. But as long as you're repositioning me back into my purpose, back into my destiny, as Mary said to the angel, be it unto me according to your word. I'm willing, I'm ready, I'm expected, and I know you're a God who redeems everything that's been lost in Jesus' name. So we've got Jonah, and then the last person is this guy called Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. Let's talk about the story. What's the story? There was a guy called Samuel, who's prophet of God, man of God. And he anoints, chooses a guy called Saul to become king of Israel. Saul makes his own decision, makes his own choices, does not turn away to the things, of, does not turn to the things of God and starts living the way he wants to live. Samuel starts living in the land of regret. He starts blaming himself. Samuel's done nothing wrong but he just becomes the victim, right? And I love what God says to Samuel. God says to him, how long will you grieve for Saul? And I wanna say to people in this room, grieving's okay, but even, even grief comes with an expiry date. God does not say it's bad you're grieving. God does not say it's sinful you're grieving. I think grief is an important part of our soul and our health and all of that and all the processes that come with it, right? But even grief has an expiry date. And I think some of us have begun to camp in the valley of grief when God is saying you've got to shake off the grief. You've got to step into this new place. And, you know, we saw this as, as, as I was leading a church through COVID. 
one of the things, one of the big grief for a lot of our people were people that were once coming to church, people that were once with God, people that once were leading them, people that once they were leading, all of a sudden they just never turned up. It's like church has come back. We've, we're still waiting. Three years in, we're still waiting for some people to come back, right? And, and, and people start living in the camp of grief because they feel like a failure. They feel like they, they did something wrong and, and start, start blaming themselves. But I love what God says to Samuel. God says, fill your cup with oil. He's literally saying, get a new anointing. Get a new touch from God. Get, get, get positioned under the things of the Holy Spirit. Enter my presence once again. Step into that place of worship. In church, this happens to me all the time. Some mornings I wake up, don't feel that great for whatever reason. And I just get into God's presence. And all of a sudden, He just begins to fill me with the oil of heaven. He just begins to fill me with His presence. And one of the greatest ways that you can hear from God a second time is to literally enter into His presence. Life, church, I want to encourage you this morning. Shake off the grief. I want to encourage you this morning. I understand that there might be regrets. I, might, I understand there might have been a relationship breakdown. I understand there might be situations that's happened. But at the end of the day, you cannot take on their decisions. You cannot take on what they've done. God is saying to you, it's a new day. You're positioned for my word a second time. I like what God says to Samuel. I have found another man after my own heart. God is saying to you, I found another assignment for you. I found another opportunity for you. I found another situation for you. And God is inviting us. He's saying, step into that place and enter into my presence once again, a second time. A second time, a second time. And this is what God does. He uses everything that comes our way. You know, the Bible says, for God works all things together. A lot of Christians read it as God works all good things together. God works all breakthroughs together, all miracles together, all happy moments together. He all includes the divorce. All includes bankruptcy. All includes being fired from your job. All includes, includes the fact that you're probably looking for a house. All includes the season you're in. God works all things together for those who are called according to His purpose. He's working all things, church. Be encouraged this morning that He's not just using the, the good things. He's not just using the God things. He's using the ugly things. He's using the bitter things. He's using the broken things. He's using the abuse things. He's using all things together for those who are called according to His purpose. If some of you know my wife's story, maybe you don't. But my wife has a crazy story. When she was a young girl, found herself in a situation where she was violently abused by a bunch of men and lived in this land of disappointment, grief, and unforgiveness for many years and literally then had an open heaven encounter. And today, she gets invited to places that I would love to go be invited to, but they don't have me. I drive her there. And she gets to speak in schools. She gets to speak in colleges because she gets to speak about the freedom she found at the feet of Jesus because God worked even that abuse. I'm not saying God allowed it. I'm not saying God was with that, but he even used that which the enemy meant for evil. God even turned that around and she's bringing healing to hundreds of girls around the world. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. What is it that you're complaining about by God, but if you put it at the feet of Jesus, he can utilize it, turn it around, shift it in, weave it around because he works all things together for those who are called according to his purpose. Come on, if you believe that, give him a clap of praise. He works all things, 
all things together. All things together. And I just want to encourage people in this room that he's a God who works all things. He's a God who works all things. God is with you. God is for you. He is a God who speaks a second time. He's a God that desires to speak to us. Let's have hope this morning, knowing that we serve a good God. Knowing that we serve a God who speaks to us not just once, but a God who speaks a second time. Church, you're not forgotten. You're not forsaken. You're not somewhere in the, in the back office where it's sort of like, oh, when I get to you, I get to you. You're ingrained in the hands of God. If God has a refrigerator, it carries your photo. He is your God. You are his child. And I want you to draw close to him because this is what the devil does. He reminds us of the regrets that we have. He reminds us of the overzealousness we have like Moses. He reminds us of the disobedience that we had like Jonah. He reminds us of the tragedy, tragedies we face like Samuel. He reminds us of the brooks that have dried up that once God provided with. And it becomes a roadblock into everything that God has for us next. But we serve a God who speaks the second time.